Hello there, beautiful people of the universe. How is everybody doing today? Welcome to episode 39 of Shine Brighter with Liz. 39, wow, like that's almost 40. That's a lot of episodes. Um, This has been a fun, fun, fun journey recording these podcasts. Honestly, a labor of love more than anything, just a really awesome outlet to express myself and have amazing conversations with people who I believe are lighthouses. For season three, I've been mixing things up a bit. I hope you guys have been enjoying it. Speaking with lighthouses and also speaking some treasures I have found throughout my journey and sharing that with you. Today's guest is a very special one and I'm so excited to have her on the podcast. This is a woman who honestly changed my life. She came into my life at the perfect moment. She shed so much light and she has shown me the way through this industry. She's my boss and I'm just so grateful for her. Her name is Valerie Hubbard. Valerie Hubbard is an actress. She's an entrepreneur. She created The Actors Fast Track. Actors Fast Track is a company that I work for and I once actually hired them to help me understand the industry of acting, understanding it from a business standpoint, understanding that I am an entrepreneur, I am the CEO of my acting career, how to stop waiting for the green light and create those opportunities for myself. And uh, she really helped me understand my brand, my type, my buyers, my customers, understanding how to sell myself, how to pitch myself, how to create the best sales team. And that's actually what I do with actors now. Um, I'm a coach for her and I have my clients. Some of my clients I'm sure are listening right now. This is a conversation that I have with Valerie of who she is, how she became this wonderful human being that she is. Everything from early on becoming an actress to her journey of an entrepreneur, faith, understanding morning routines and the power of seeking that. So without further ado, I bring to you this amazing episode with someone that is very dear in my heart, Valerie Hubbard. All right, we're recording. Thank you so much, Val, for being on my podcast. I'm so excited to have you on as a guest. I'm excited to be here, Elizabeth. You know I love you to death. Oh my God. Okay, so for the listeners that are listening, this woman has changed my life. She has been my mentor. She's been she's my boss. And I just see her as like family at this point. I love her so much. Um, so for the audience that doesn't know you, let's tell them who you are. What were you like as a kid? What did you want to be when you grew up? Okay. First of all, you made me cry a little bit when you said what you just said. So oh. hi everyone. I'm Valerie Hubbard. Um, And uh, I'm an actress and the CEO of Actors Fast Track, which you'll find out about in a little bit. Um, So as a child, uh, the first thing I ever wanted to be was a booty operator, which really meant a beauty operator, which was how in the olden days we used to call hairstylists beauty operators. My mother had a beauty operator. And so I love to fix people's hair. And so that's the first thing that I ever really wanted to be. But then when I was three years old, um, I threw a lot of temper tantrums. I was very dramatic as a child. And when I was three years old, I threw myself down the basement stairs. Um, My mom said like very dramatically, like I held my hand up, like I'd seen it on a TV show or a movie or something. And I threw myself down the basement stairs and my mother literally thought I was dead. So she sent my dad down to the bottom of the stairs and I was sitting at the bottom of the stairs and I was laughing. So the very next day, my mom and dad enrolled me in creative dramatics. Um, and it was with a teacher by the name of Osyth Deersmith Moore. 
and she was just like a little fairy. She would wear matching everything. So she would wear like a hot pink sweater, a hot pink skirt, hot pink tights, hot pink shirt, shoes, and she was just like a little magical fairy. She was probably in her 60s or 50s when she started teaching me and she was really tiny and it was all very she was so good with kids and and so I remember very distinctly probably like four years old that I was in a creative dramatics class and we had to draw a prop out of a bag and then make a story and the prop that I drew was a magic wand of course and so you know um I was obsessed with acting from a very early age and so as soon as I found acting and creative dramatics that's all I ever wanted to do from then on out so really I wanted to be an actor pretty much from the age of four to five on right and I did a lot of children's theater and then theater in high school and uh and I went right to acting school when I was 18. Wow amazing yes. and so You've had this incredible career in acting. You've been on television. You've done voiceover. You've done mocap. You've done commercials. You've done, you've done it all. So mm -hmm. what was that like journey like as being an actor? I know that you, obviously I know you very well and I know your journey, but you have this tenacity to you. And, but what was that like, like walking through that journey to get to those bigger roles? What was that? What was that journey like for you? So you, went to school. I know you also did theater. You've, you've done so much. Yeah. But what was that like journey? So when I, when I, I went to acting school, you know, and I came right to New York after I got out of acting school, everyone's like, why don't you stay in Chicago? I went to acting school in Chicago. Well, why don't you stay in act Chicago? And, you know, I had always, since I was a teenager, wanted to come to New York. I mean, we came to New York with my drama group in high school and everyone's like, oh, this is fun to visit. And I was like, oh, I'm going to live here. <laughs> and um, so for me, you know, I couldn't get to New York fast enough. And I came here and I was um, voracious. I mean, we used to, you know, this is before the internet or anything. And so the backstage used to come out every Tuesday night at midnight. I was in Jersey City. I would take the path train to get to the city at midnight every Tuesday night. And I would, and the path train was messed up, as messed up as it is now. Like some things never change, you know? So it was like a nightmare. You had to go through Hoboken and then to the city. And I would get my backstage and on the way home on the train, like at one in the morning, I would cut out all the auditions that I was right for. And I would tape them in my date book and then I would highlight the things that I had to prepare for each audition and I went to every audition you know from the very beginning like I always had jobs like you know catering restaurant waiting tables but my career was the number one focus. Like it was always the number one focus. So I would lie, cheat and steal whatever I had to do to get to the audition. Like I never missed an audition and I went to every audition. And so very early on, like I, I formed this thing that I now teach my clients, which, you know, <clears throat> which is called a criteria list, you know, which it would, I would take through a criteria list of so because I would so many auditions like you know if the audition was unorganized or the script wasn't motivating or they didn't seem that they knew what they were doing I wouldn't do it so I, I always had a really good um, 
track record of choosing the things that were really, really right for me. Um, <clears throat> and I, um, I, you know, back then they used to say, oh, don't go to anything in backstage. It's all, you know, crap, whatever they would say, right? Like, don't do that. And, and so there's this famous story that in 1985, there was an ad in backstage for Landscape of the Body, um, the play by John Guare. And it was on a Sunday. So, you know, the path train on a Sunday is not the best thing in the world. But I schlepped into the city because my career always came first. I went to this audition. And when I walked in, I knew something was different. Like it was a showcase that didn't pay, but they were so organized and they seemed to really know the play and they knew what they were doing. And so, and there was a perfect part in the play for me. So I auditioned and then I got called back. And then the director called me and spoke to me for about an hour about my beliefs as an actor and what I, and then at the end of that hour, she hired me. And the first rehearsal was at a, um, an apartment on the Upper East Side in New York, three bedroom apartment, you know, and I seemed to be the outsider, like everyone seemed to know each other. And so I started listening, you know, we were there for our first read through and everyone had just graduated from Brown University. And I was like, oh, Brown, you know, and, um, and there's a girl, she's talking about her dad's new show on Broadway called Phantom of the Opera. Her name was Daisy Prince. Wow. And there was another girl named that was starting Juilliard. Her name was Laura Linney. And there was another girl, Amanda Green, and her parents were Adolph Green and um, Betty Comden, like famous composer and lyricist, right? And I was like, oh, my God, I stepped into a gold mine. This was an ad in Backstage. Yeah. So we ran the show for 10 performances in 1985. And every night I was wined and dined by Stephen Sondheim, Hal Prince, John F. Kennedy Jr., Jenny Lamette. I mean, like the people that I met, Larry Kramer, it was crazy. And that one audition, and then 10 years later, John Guare rewrote a play for me. Wow. So like that one audition that people said, oh, don't go to auditions, you know, and I was like adamant about doing everything. It changed my life. And it's still like, I still know those people and they're still sending shock waves through my career, you know, I don't know how many years later, like 20, 35 years later. So, yeah. You didn't have this like ego around the work. Like you were like, just, I'm going to do anything. Like, I guess so many people are like, they want to only, you know, they don't want to do extra work or they don't want to, they don't want to like kind of build their way up. But the fact that you were willing to try anything and everything, I think that hunger is what opened these like huge opportunities for you. Yeah, well, it's also who shows up, right? Like if you're doing background work, you need to show up as an, you know, as an actor, right? Not as a, a wannabe actor. You know, I think it's how you show up. Like I was a trained actor. I went to conservatory for four years. I knew my stuff. I was not, you know, actors get a bad, a bad rap a lot of times, you know, um, you know, oh, actors are dumb or actors and, and actors aren't dumb. Actors are some of the smartest people I know. But I think that, you know, we're kind of like that abused wife <laughs> that, you know, has given up our power and given up our our intelligence to learn things and to 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 know things. And so the thing that that I think acting school really did for me is it allowed me to stand in my value. So when I showed up, this is something I knew. 
like I knew acting, I knew about acting. And so there might, I didn't know everything. I'm not saying that you know everything, but but I was an actor. Like I didn't ever have an issue identifying as not an actor. Yeah. So I showed up in standing in my own self-respect. Right. And do you feel like that self-respect is something that you had to cultivate or is that something you feel like you already had? Well, I mean, you know, it's a, that's a really good question, Elizabeth, because I you know, I feel like there's a certain part of me as a girl in America, as a woman in America, that that didn't have that self-respect growing up in the 70s as far as like my body and around boys and things like that. I mean, I feel like that was something that was that was very common in the 70s. You know, we didn't have we didn't have AIDS yet. We didn't have those kind of things. So, you know, I didn't have much respect for myself and my body as a woman, but I think as an actor, I had a lot of self-respect. So it's kind of weird, right? Like it makes me kind of sad. And, and I, and I had a very good father figure. I had a great family growing up. So it wasn't, I mean, like, you know, my mom and, and, you know, so I had a really good upbringing. I think that, um, you know, very early on when I was 12 years old, I went to an audition for sound and music to play one of the kids. And I was a, I was kind of a fat kid at the time I was 12 and, um, the parents were in the casting session with us. And at one point, the woman that was sort of the director of the casting session kind of pushed me to the side and she said, you don't fit any, you don't fit in. So just stand over there. And my dad saw that. And he came up and he whispered in my ear, he goes, you just go on up there. You do fit in. You just go on up there and fit in. And, and he gave me my power back in that moment. And I went back up and I fit in and I got cast. And I think that, um, you know, you know, so I think that that was a message, a good positive message that I got in. And I was always um, in acting school. I was one of the best. I was one of the ones that got cast. I was always popular growing up. Like I was always a popular. I always had a lot of friends and I always was very, um, you know, in high school in my sophomore year, again, I was kind of heavy. And so I would get teased. But then when everyone saw me in the play, it was a totally different story. Like I was the star, right? Like, oh my God, you're so good. So, you know, like my acting, like I always was really a really good actress. And so that was where I shined. I, I, you know, I would shine. And so people respected me for that. So I never doubted my, hardly ever in my entire 35 years of being an actress, did I doubt my talent. Right. Yeah. Um, I did sometimes, you know, I mean, I do have, I've had bad auditions and I've been nervous and things like that over the 35 years, clearly. But, but, but I don't really think I ever, I never really had too much of a doubting my talent. Right. It's interesting that like, I feel like I see so much of myself in you in the sense, like, even like, I never knew that you had that same thing with the beauty, like the, you like doing people's hair. I had that same experience growing up. Like I was obsessed with 
uh, cosmetology and like doing like my, my grandfather, I, I, I have photos of me like three years old, like doing like putting rollers in his hair and just wanting to do his hair, like his hand. I think it has come from like, I think it comes from like the service, like this, 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 um, this giving heart of wanting to give like beauty and wanting to be uh, giving to people. But then I also discovered that I wanted to be an actress in a young age as well. And then I think I wrapped my identity around the fact that I was going to be an actress. And similar to your dad, I had a mom that was very, um, yes, that's what you're going to be. And my mom, when I was little, told me, I talked to a fortune teller and they said, you're going to be a very successful actress. So then I was like, oh, that's it. Like I'm set. Like someone told my mom. And it was like when anybody, when I was younger, they don't say that to me as much now, but when I would meet people when I was younger, it'd be like, oh, so what do you want to be when you grow up? And I would say an actress. And they would say, oh, honey, it's only one in a million. And I'd go, I know, but my mom said I was going to be successful. So there we go. And so I feel like I walked through life with this like identity of knowing I was going to be successful. So even when shit hit the fan it was like but I already know it was like I already know it was like no one could take that from me and my conservatory like my four years was probably the the darker times in my life as an adult it was the first time I started you know a lot of my voids how you talk about like you had so much confidence in your career but as as a woman I I I definitely had that as well I didn't have my father we weren't very close so I actually had this huge void in my heart that I try to fill with like meaningless sex or love from a man and I try to seek that um that route and um in my conservatory I had before I had joined I was in a relationship that he cheated on me he was my first love and he like broke my heart and it was the first time I ever really spiraled into this I would say it's not negative but it was the first time I started exploring my voids in a sexual way and it just left me more broken and more broken and more broken And I mean, now as an actress, I find it as a blessing because of the fact that I know how to use that in my art. I know that, you know, there's nothing to be ashamed of. It happens. And at least I can speak about my voids in a very um, authentic and non-shaming way. Like, I don't let shame dictate my life in the past I have. But um, I feel like when I had been in a relationship right after that, um, it was that partner filled that void with love and it was the first time that I questioned being an actress because he gave me so much love and he was not a dreamer and he gave me like this beautiful life in Miami and he just kind of was like you know you don't have to chase something like you could just be happy and I felt like it was the first time I ever questioned like oh no like you're the first person that's ever questioned my identity as an actress. And I don't know if I held on to that identity of identity of being an actress because of escapism or like what, like I always try to understand like, why, like, why do you want to be an actor? Like, are you seeking validation? Is it this escapism that you like to escape into other people's lives? Like, why do you want this? Um, is it the glamor? Like, what is it about it? And I feel like, um, I felt for a really long time I had to choose love or my career. And um, thankfully, I, I feel like I'm at a place where I've said, you know what, I'm, I'm never going to question this, this thing that I feel like God gave me. Um, the right person will come along and maybe he is the right person, but I just need to like do this for myself first and not have to feel like there's a rush for love. Like this, this is my first love and it, it deserves everything because 
what I realize is if I do want to be a mom, if I do want to be a wife, if I don't put this first, then I'll never be happy. I'll, I'll always feel this, um, this sadness. And I think you came into my life at the perfect time. And that's why I say you really did change my life because, um, at the time I was trying to have this relationship with my father. He lived here in New York and my mom was like, honey, I had just graduated college. And she's like, if you don't leave Miami, you're going to get pregnant and married. You need to go. And I said, okay, I'm going to go. And I just didn't know where I was going to live. So I reached out to my dad and he's like, sure, you can live with me. And it just didn't go perfect. I had two sisters that were very envious of my light that I was bringing and very territorial over my dad, which was really sad for me because I never got to have this relationship with him. So I felt like I can only really have that relationship if there was another people around. Um, And I had just got into this huge fight with my dad. And um, at the time, Rebecca Knowles, which, you know, I had met her at this, at the American Theater Wing. Um, And she, she was an alumni of that. And I asked her, I was like, you just, you feel, I feel like, you know what you're doing. Like I I looked up to her so much and I said, and I, I just, I know that this is for me but I just need like guidance. Like I just need someone to tell me like how to do this. And I'm getting so emotional. And (laughs) I was in Miami at the time. And I remember her telling me, oh, I work with this woman. Her name's Valerie Hubbard. And I was in Miami and I logged in and you were doing this live with James. And Sarah, you you were like, oh, email my assistant, Sarah. I'm going to be in New York. We're like three. And you were like living in LA at the time. And I was like, oh my God, this woman is going to New York. I need to meet her. I need to talk with her. Like, this is the, this is the thing I've been praying for. Like, she is going to change my life. And I remember you were so cool down to earth. Like I told Rebecca, I was like, oh, Valerie's going to be doing this like meetup on Thursday. And then Friday, she's doing this workshop. I just want to go to all of it. Like, I want all of it. Like, I want the workshop. <laughs> I want the meetup. I want the private talk. I want all of it. Like, I don't care. I just want it. And I remember meeting you and the event somehow had gotten canceled. And you walk in and you're just this so cute. Like, you got a little beanie on and a rolling book bag. You're like, hi, Rebecca. And then she's like, oh, this is my friend Elizabeth. And I just remember looking at you and I'd be like, this woman changes lives. Like, I remember saying that to you. I was like, you change lives. Like, I just felt that about you. And I remember the event got canceled and you were like, oh, let's go to a bar and talk. And you were telling me all these stories. And I was just like, wow, wow. Like, she, like she's the real deal. Like, she's been on TV. Like, she's done all of these things. And she's, like, willing to talk to me. Like, a nobody. like I, I want those things. Like, why is she so, you know, nice you know because I had been had coaches but it was just different they they didn't get on your level you know like they kind of looked at you in a different way and so we go and we just like drinking Shirley Temples and I remember (laughs) and I remember going downstairs at the and I called my boyfriend I was like Rob Rob you don't you don't understand no no people didn't come to the event no no I'm I'm just sitting with her at the bar and she's like talking to me and she's like giving me all of this advice and I just feel like I won the lottery and I remember coming back upstairs and thinking, your dad is just a distraction, honey. And like this woman, like just follow what she does. And then I remember going back and I was so scared to join Actors Fast Track. I was so scared. I don't know why I was so scared. And then I remember going to the meetup and you just like, I was, I just remember being so scared. But at the end you did this, like this, this meditation and like just saying that we had to just jump off the ledge and just trust. And I was like, why am I scared of putting like, like money down for someone to teach me? Like, why am I afraid of this? Like, 
if I know I'm going to get a service, I know that they're going to help me. Like, why am I so afraid? And I, I knew that everybody in the room that was a client knew something I didn't know. Like I was like, they know something like they know something that I don't know. I just need that knowledge. Like what are they doing that I'm not doing? And it was so weird because I feel like I, I signed up almost because I wanted you to like me. Cause I was like, no, no, I did it. I did it. But it was also because I knew you were going to teach me something. And, and then everything is like history at this point. I feel like you just, you, you really did. You changed my life. You, you came in and, and, and from all the coaches, from everybody, like everything I know about this industry, I feel like was because of you guys, because of how open and sharing you guys all have been from all of the coaches and, and to you. And, and yeah, I don't know. I just felt like I had to like explain that, that story. <laughs> well, you, you know, you've been like, um, <clears throat> I mean, you, you are the perfect client and, you know, that's why I asked you to be a coach um, because you are, you were the perfect client. I mean, you know, we all want everyone and we all, by we all just, you know, with Actress Fast Track, I have um, six coaches, you know, and I know that each one of you that have clients with Actress Fast Track, you want them to show up completely um, and do whatever you tell them to do, you know, but that's not a lot of the case because, you know, the whole thing about putting money down, you know, there's a lot of scams out there because again, you know, I think that, um, you know, actors are so, um, you know, they're so blind to really, and I think this is not just actors. I think this is people in general. Like you have really good, um, you know, uh, radar for telling, you know, for trusting your gut. Yeah. Uh, you have really good radar for that. A lot of people have their radar covered up by a bunch of stuff, right? And so you kind of have to go have to, you have to be a, to be a really good business owner. And as an actor, you're a business owner, you're an entrepreneur. You have to trust your gut. Like I was listening to, um, um, I was listening to, uh, what is that book that I was just listening to? I mean, I've been listening to Marie Forleo, which, you know, we both love everything is figure outable. But then before then I was, I was just finished, um, this book, uh, let's see, I'm going to tell you the name of it, Rare Breed. Okay. Okay. By, and, and, and in that, they were talking about that all of your big multi-million dollar business owners have learned how to have a sixth sense, like okay. Oprah and, um, you know, Bill Gates, like they, they trust their gut. And, you have to trust your gut, you know? And so when you are motivated by something, when you go, I need to work with that person, you have, you know, a lot of people will say that around me, I need to work with you. But then when I tell them the price tag, um, you know, they're like, oh, well, I, I can't afford that. And, you know, and so what happens is they get stuck in wherever they are because they don't understand that, in order to move forward in your life, you have to jump off the cliff and let the wings sprout. Like you have to take the step 
and 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 the results will follow right um and trust in the process you know you and i were discussing that this morning a little bit on the coach's call about you know someone hiring um actress fast track and then trusting in the process right and trusting in the process like we've you know I've been helping actors since forever. Like I had another business in the nineties and then, you know, I have this business now. So I've been helping actors forever and I've always worked with coaches and, you know, when you make a decision on a coach and you make that investment with them, you have to, you have to like, once you make that investment, the thing is like, you can't back off of it. Now, sometimes you're going to want to back off of it, but once you're in, you got to be in and you got to be like, I trust you to tell me what to do to take me where I'm going. And you know, the thing is like, I don't know everything, but, but I, but I know how to guide someone to get out of their way and to get to what they want. And I know what gets acting work. You know, the thing that I did forever to get the, all of the credits and the resume that I have, I used to think only worked for me and some of the people, some of the time. But what I've realized in the last eight years is that everyone that does it, it works for a lot of people will hire you though and then not do it because they let their fears pop up and get in the way of like oh well I'm not supposed to do that or I can't take that step or that's not going to work for me I mean the reason you're a successful actress now Elizabeth is because one the number one reason is your mother told you you were going to be so whether it's true or not you chose to believe that so you created the life that's currently existing for you with a top agent with a pilot season happening those are th- things are happening for you because you made decision from a cho- from a, as a child that you were going to be a successful actress because your mother said so. Right. Exactly. And you know if you're if you're you know so but even if you know I was listening to um, I was listening to Marie Forleo you know everything is figureoutable and I was listening to her talk about that doctor in Africa you know the woman doctor who you know lived with an abusive husband, had five kids, you know, and somehow got a grant to go to school in Oklahoma, brought her abusive husband who beat her up all the time, her five kids. She was feeding her kids out of trash cans and she got her doctorate degree, right? She went through bachelor, then master's and doctorate. And like, literally, if she can do that, you and I can do anything we want to in the world. Right. If someone with that, you know, because she made up her mind, that's what she was going to do. She wrote it down. She buried it in Africa under a rock. And every time one, a next thing came true, she would go home to Africa, dig up the rock, dig up the lists and check it off. Yes. I remember hearing the story. Yes. Yeah. Crazy. And I think the biggest thing Val too, which we, we've talked a lot about, um, and I'm just, I'm very grateful for you because I, I hired, I hired you initially for acting coaching, but what I didn't realize, and I've said this before, even at our, at our big events is what I didn't realize is that I actually gained a family. Like I gained this, the most incredible community of all of my, you know, as actors, we walk through this alone, or they feel like you have to walk through this alone. And I feel like the biggest thing is that this is a very difficult industry, but I don't feel like I'm walking alone. I feel like I have people I look up to people that are doing the thing that people that have gone before me, like not just you, but even Scott, like the other coaches like Scott or Jen that I've had on the podcast or Brian or these people that I look up to that are doing this. But I think the biggest thing um, 
I think is really cool is that we also talk about like money, right? Like we've talked about money and mindsets and, and how all of that plays in. And I think one of the big things for some people is that they do have these like money stories around, you know, their lives. And I think because I hired actors fast track, it was the first kind of big investment I ever made that had to do with my money. Um, but after that, I've been able to invest in other things. For example, now I've taken, I took a class with Josh Pies, which was like almost $2,000. I signed up for this Marie thing, which was almost $2,000. Like all of these different things that have cost so much money. So I feel like what, what, like talking about like money mindsets, like what would you tell people, you know, yeah, let's talk about that. Okay, well, okay. So when you first bought a package for me, I think it was probably $2,400, right? And you did a payment plan, right? And so that seemed like a whole lot of money. And now you're going out and buying $2,000 things. And, and you're like, because you saw what you got from that. And so, you know, um, if money is an issue, it doesn't matter how much it is, right? It's the it, so when you realize that, when you realize money, like $200 seems a lot and that's an issue. And then $2,000 seems like a lot and that's an issue. And then $20,000 seems like a lot and that's an issue. And then 200, it's still the same issue. It's just a different, uh, more zeros on the back of it. And so, man, I mean, you know, if you want to deal with money, start a business. That's all I'm going to say about that. Like, you know, I, I mean, I had my money stories were so, and beliefs, um, were so deep, you know, and so had so much on them, you know, so much stuff on them that, and I, you know, it's been a process in unpacking them and facing them and growing up around them and, and getting new beliefs, uh, rewriting the story for myself, my money story. Um, and it's still, um, it's still not easy. I mean, I've read, a ton of books. I mean, I've read Jen Sincero's A Million Times. You're a Badass at Making Money. Yeah. Um, it's such a great book. I, um, you know, I, I um, have an amazing CFO. You know, someone said if you're an artistic CEO that you should hire a CFO that someone that is you know, you should partner with someone that's much more level headed than you mm -hmm. and someone that's like, no, this is the way we're doing it. And Deb for sure is that person for me. Like she's not messing around like she, you know, and so I, I have her and she's taught me a whole lot of, about money. The, you know, I've gotten pieces about money from a lot of different people. And I think, you know, the thing is like, I'm not my money. Right. You know, I have, like, when I can't, you know, I've had a, a, a lot of issues with debt this last year, and, and I'm going to get out from under it without getting more debt. That's, like, the goal, but it makes it, like, really hard because I feel terrible when I can't pay my staff on time. Like, you know, if I had it, I would pay them my own money, but, like, I'm, you know, what I get is like, I don't like, I, you know, I don't end up even paying myself. Right. Which is like really hard to go through this. And it's, it's like, 
and, and to feel like to unattach from, I'm a stupid business owner. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm dumb or whatever the, the story is that I tell myself when I realized that like, you know, only 2% of women ever make it to over five years in business as a C, you know, CEO. And that if you look at the revenue that I've created in the last you know, eight years of business, it's been way into the millions. I'm like, where is that money? You know, but, um, um, and so, you know, but then I talked to business owners and they said, you know, cash flow is an issue for mil millionaires, right? And so, like, now I'm reading this new book called Profit First, and I am, um, you know, would like to rethink the way that I look at my business. It's like huge to look at it in a new way. You know, and so it's, um, you know, I mean, it's just a process is what I want to say. But the thing is that, um, you, like, one thing is, like, I never, I, I think you can't make decisions about money. Because the, the truth is, like, if you dropped your phone in the toilet today, you'd be at AT&T so fast my head would spin. So, but, you know, um, when it's important to you, you find the money. Right. The money shows up and it's really about your language. Like I've, you know, like not, I'm trying to sell, you know, uh, I'm, I'm hoping to sell, you know, I have sold three painfuls by March 14th. Right. right? And I have sold this much, the, this many packages this week. Right. But, and trusting in, the creation of what you want to have happen, creating it and really watching your language. Like if you walk around saying I'm broke all the time, I don't have any money, you're going to be broke and you're not going to have any money. Right. I know that's really clear for me. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really worked this last year and a half on changing my, my words that come out of my mouth. Um, focusing on meditation, focusing on self-help books. I mean, up until a year and a half ago, I know I made fun of people that wrote, read self-help books, and now that's all I read. Um, wow. You know, so I've been doing all of those things every day to to get me to where I need to be, and um, and I'm not going to lie. There's times where I just, you know, I mean, there's times where I'm despondent and despair about it. You know, because it's like a terrible place to be, you know, when you're running a company, you're like the front of the ship, you know, those things on the front of the ship that's masked and all the, yeah, that's it. You know, you get it all right. And so like, you can't go run and hide and say, you know, you have to deal with it. You have to deal with all of it. Yeah. And I right? think it's so interesting too, because, um, I mean, I read Jen Shinshiro because of you. Like the, I read books because you, you've told me this Rachel Hollis is, and I'm like, okay, okay. I, I can see it because you've, you've, you've really fed that into me and the importance of reading these like books. Um, I think it's interesting because I know people who have specific language, the way they say things like some people will be like, Oh, that's just so expensive. And like, I notice in myself that I go, but what's expensive to you? Like, what is expensive to you? Like, why is expensive this negative thing? Is it, or like where I'll have people like, oh, I don't really like having nice things because like, it just, it shows that I'm, you know, like, I feel like I'm, I'm more like, 
I'm not humble. And I'm like, but I don't see it like that. For me, it's like quality. Like I enjoy having nice things because it's quality. It's like people have specific, their money stories like show up in their life. And it's so interesting. Yeah. It's like even my, my, some of my siblings where it's like, my brother will be very specific about just the way he is with his money and his money story. And it's just interesting seeing other people's money story of what's expensive to you. Like, why is that? Why does that seem expensive? But I just thought that was interesting. So, okay. We've talked about actors fast track very briefly, but I want to go in more in depth in it. So, um, why did you create this business? And let's talk about what the business is, um, what you teach and yeah. What was really the story behind actors fast track? Um, well, when I went to acting school, they like pretty much every acting school, you know, the business of acting consisted of here's how you get a headshot and here's how you get an agent and not even really that. Like if you want to be a working actor, you get a headshot and you get an agent. That's what they told me in acting. And so business of acting was more just auditioning, right? That's what it was. Right. So I came from an entrepreneur father. And so I really clearly remember, like I went to New York and I got an agent. And the reason I got an agent is because my then husband was going to be the next Sean Penn. And so I was kind of the consolation prize for this agent. He was more interested in my husband than me. And so I was just kind of the whatever. And you know, and I remember, and, and, you know, Brian Coffey, who works for us, said this to me when he first hired me. I literally remember hearing this from agents. Like, I would ask an agent, well, what should I be doing? And the agent would said, well, just do your job. And then, and I don't even think when they said that, that they knew what that meant. Like, you know, basically what they were saying is, you just sit there and let me get you auditions. Right. But the thing that's become really clear to me, especially in the last eight years, is being around a lot of million-dollar business owners that have nothing to do with acting. When you tell them how our businesses run, that, oh, well, we're the entrepreneur, we're the CEO, we pay for everything, headshots, resumes, reels, everything, but the... But the um, but the, but we have to wait till we get an agent who only makes 10% to sell us. They look at you like you have three heads. They're like, what? That makes no sense. So, <clears throat> so the agent was, would basically say, you just sit there and be ready for when I get you an audition. And I just kept thinking, there's got to be something else to this. <laughs> like, it just didn't seem like it were it. And I didn't even really know the rules of business. My dad was an entrepreneur, but I really hadn't trained in that or anything. But I just felt like something was off, right? So um, I, um, I met this man very early on and in New York called, his name was Jay Perry, and he was one of the original life coaches in the industry. And he had started a um, a company called Actors Information Project, and they had a class, and you could take it, it was at seven in the morning, and you had to be there at seven in the morning, or you got locked out, and it was a business class, and in that class, he taught me um, uh, how to do reach outs to my customer base, and so we would write 10 letters to casting directors every week asking for generals. And then the following week, you would call the 10 people you wrote the week before. And on average, I would get one appointment out of 10 phone calls. And so I learned how to cold phone call. I learned how to write a good letter. And so 
I heard that they were doing the Crucible in, at the Roundabout in New York, which you, of course you know is a star theater in New York. And so I, um, I went to my agent and I said, I want to play Mercy Lewis. And he said, well, you can't play Mercy Lewis. You don't have the name. And that, was the that wasn't the first time that he had said that to me. Um, so, but what I was learning in my class was a little different. So I wrote a letter to Pat McCorkle and I walked into Pat McCorkle's office and I gave them the headshot and the resume and I said, I'd like to get an audition for Mercy Lewis. Well, I got the audition and then I booked it. Come on. And, and I was like, wait a minute. Ding. I always say like five light bulbs went over the course of like the last 30 years that that led me to Actors Fast Track to where what I teach now. So that was sort of like the first light bulb that was like, wait a minute. I didn't wait around for the agent to get an audition. I got my own audition mm -hmm. and I booked it. So that's not exactly what they're saying to me. So from then on, like everything the agent said to me, I was kind of like, mm. You know, and what I really learned really early was that once the agent got me into the room, if they got me into the room at all, it was my job to cultivate the relationship with the casting director or the, or the assistant that was sitting in front of me. So very early on, like I started helping my friends do what I was learning to do. And people were like, oh, you're really good at this. You should help other people. And so, you know, in the 90s, I did that with my friend Leah Brandenburg. We started Strategies. That was our company. And, but it was very like part time and all of that stuff. And so, um, in, when I was 41, I moved to Los Angeles after having like a really great theater um, career and I had had a couple of TV and a couple movie credits and a bunch of commercials. I moved to Los Angeles and I thought it would be easier than it was. It was really, 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 really hard. And it was also like everyone was way younger than me, like 20 years younger than me. And I felt like I really took off my confidence suit and misplaced it for a while. But the smart thing that I did was that I hired a business coach before I even found an apartment. Wow. And so literally the first summer I spent on her couch crying, like I'd made the biggest mistake. I'd left a career in New York. It wasn't like, and I'd gone out there and it felt like, you know, no one cared that John Guare had written a play for me. No one cared. I'd worked at the roundabout, like no one cared. Right. And, um, so I had to start over at 41. It was very, very hard, but I did all those things that I knew how to do. And before long, you know, I booked everything, you know, every Disney show, Hannah Montana, Glee, American Horror Story, True Blood, How I Met Your Mother, like on and on and on, right? Like all of my credits. And I just, um, and then I realized, like I had been teaching acting as well. And all of my students that were so talented were giving up acting. Mm. And I, and so I started Actors Fast Track really because I was like, I can help them. Right. Like I can help them. But what I didn't realize eight years ago when I started Actors Fast Track was that I was catching a much bigger wave than I even anticipated, mm -hmm. which was like the breakdown of our current business, which has clearly been happening. And it's happening because it's time for a new way of doing business. Everything changes. Change is inevitable. And anything that it's a, it's an exponential change we're living in. So anything that doesn't take common sense is going to be replaced by a machine. Yeah. So it's like the Wild West out there now. And so all of the things that I had always done, which were basically breaking the rules, started to be inevitable if you wanted to 
mandatory if you really wanted to be a working actress that you needed to sell yourself. And so, you know, and then the last light bulb, so I had five light bulbs go off for me and they're all on my website. I talk about them on my website, but the last light bulb went off for me after I started Actress Fast Track, the day I met Carolyn Faye Kramer, your yeah. coach. And so I went to this conference. It was a thousand entrepreneurs, no acting businesses from all over the world, right? And, um, and I got up to the mic. There was a thousand entrepreneurs, right? So it was like a big, gigantic, you know, stadium-sized room and all these business owners. And the, and the host was standing up on the stage and she was the Southern woman. And, and she said, so what do you do? And I said, um, you know, I said, I work with actors. She goes, oh, we have a lot of people that work for us. They used to be actors. And um, she said, well, what's their problem? And I said, well, they, um, they think they need an agent. They're waiting around till they get an agent. You know, I started going through what are the problems are because I talk to actors every day. So I know what they tell me. And at the end of me saying what your problems were, she said, well, where's all the money in that? Don't actors want to make money? And I said, and you know, I'm thinking, my subtext is, lady, you have no idea who you're talking to. Like, I'm a real actor. I have real credits. And I can guarantee you that actors don't think about money. And all of a sudden I went, oh my God, that's the problem. Yeah. That's the problem. You see, because actors are part-time actors and it's not their fault because they're told it's the hardest thing you can do. What your fr mom's friends told you it's one in a million. It's all about luck. Uh, it's you're a freelancer. So if you need to go make a thousand dollars, you're not going to go think about getting an acting job. You're going to go think about waiting tables or doing whatever you do to make money. Yeah. And so what happens is acting becomes a hobby, right? But if you treated it like your full-time job, if you treated it like you have to do it to make a living, you would act completely different. And in that moment, I realized, oh my God, that's what it is. It's like they're not, they're, they're not treating it like a business. Like we can say, oh, I understand the business of acting. Okay, so what, is, what makes a business? Sales. If you're not bringing cash in the door, you're not, you're not in business. And the, and the truth is that most actors spend all of their time working on the inside of their store, not on getting customers to come in the door. And that's why they're not successful. That was a long answer. But <laughs> no, that, no, I'm literally thinking like these were the words that changed me. So I'm just like, I know there's somebody, you know how many friends of mine that are amazing actors that I'm like, you know what you need? You need to come to our event. You need to hear Valerie. You need to, you need Valerie. You need that. How many friends I've tried inviting or even I invite them, they show up and then they leave midway. And I'm like, dude, this is the message you need to hear. And yeah. so many people I've tried helping, like just, just listen to her. And, and I realized that, you know what it is, Liz, not everybody is going to let themselves be in that frequency. I was in your frequency. I was seeking this big, I actually wanted to be an actor. So many of my friends, they, they get stuck in the, yeah, I'm doing this little short film or I'm writing this project where I'm doing these things. And I'm like, yeah, but you're not seeing the bigger picture. Like, li like listen to me. Like she knows what she's doing. And I don't know why I, I have some friends that I feel like I've tried my hardest to get them to see this bigger picture or 
even just friends like that I'll counsel, like that are, that are not clients of mine or clients of ours. And I'll be like, Oh, you should write a thank you note to that person. They'll be like, nah. And I'm like, Yes. But that's most people. Like most people sit around wishing and hoping for the life that they're going to have. One day I'm going to have that life. I always tell the story of like most actors, most everyone is standing in a hallway and there's a party going on in the other side of this doorway. So they're standing in the hallway and there's a party going on and they're sitting there in the hallway and they're like, I want to go to the party. I'm going to go to the party. Are you going to go to the party? Let's go to the party. Well, we have to wait to get an invitation to go into the party. And then, you know, there's someone that comes down the hall inevitably and just walks right into the party, just like you did. And they're like, wait a minute. Hey, Elizabeth, how did you walk into that party? You're like, I just walked in. You should call my friend Valerie. She'll tell you how you just walk in. I just walked in and they're like, oh no, I'm going to sit here and wait for the invitation. And they're going to be sitting there the rest of their lives waiting for the invitation. That's most people. That is the human condition. Very few people go on in, get up and walk in the door and go to the party. That's just the truth, right? And so I was one of those people and that's why you were attracted to me. You know, I mean, the great thing about Actors Fast Track is that the first thing we ever ask anyone is, what is the dream? Like, what do you want? And then, okay, so let's make a plan to get the dream. And then we're going to walk alongside of you while you go get it. So when you fall down, we're going to say, get up. Or we're going to say, try this, right? But most people are like, okay, here's the money. Okay, what's the dream? Okay, wait a minute, I'm going to go hide. You know, like some people are like that. You And you can't help those people. You can only keep walking your walk, Elizabeth. You can keep walking your walk. And then, you know, remember this, like as the more and more successful you get, the more and more haters you'll get too, because they'll be like, who the hell does she think she is? She just walked in there and she got a career and she didn't really earn it. And, you know, like all the stories they make up, which is really just stories about their own life. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think you hit on something so like interesting and obviously, you know, now I have clients and and I also, you know, work alongside them and we take them through the course where the first thing is the dream. What I noticed that is that so many people don't have vision. So many people don't have the gift of vision or have the gift of understanding like, wait, like I always say like, how are you going to get to IHOP? or Idaho, or California, if you're sitting in the car and you never put the GPS on, like you just, they never put the actual address to get there. Like they never said, okay, I want to get to IHOP. Okay. Here you take the right, you take the left, like you have a navigator on. Most people are just driving and have no idea where they're trying to end up. And I think that that's why they never get to where they want to be because they don't even actually know where they want to go. Right. And, and I think it's, I think it's because this is so true. I think it's because, um, I think it's because it's scary to say what you really want. Mm -hmm. You know, even me, like I remember when I first started, you know, uh, my business and people would say, well, how much money do you want to make? And it would be really hard for me to say that amount or to say what the dream was really to, to, to actually verbalize the dream, like to verbalize what is the dream? How much money do I want? How much, what kind of business do I want to build? Because I think it's like, you know, we're taught not to verbalize what is the dream. 
Right. And so I, I think that it's, it's, it's hard to step into saying what you want, right? I mean, some, you know, people tell me all the time, 90% of the time when I ask people, what's your dream? And they're like, well, Valerie, I just want to be a working actor. Okay. So do you have a job? Yes, Valerie. Do you call that working? Yes. And you call yourself an actor? Yes. Okay. You're getting exactly what you're asking for, <laughs> right? Like, like, you got to be more specific than that because they think if they ask for something specific that it's just too specific. It's like getting them to be specific about their brand is sometimes like pulling teeth, right? It's really hard because it's like, well, what if they want this? I need to be this too. Well, just think about how you buy. You don't go into a store and buy something without a label. Right. Or something that says we do everything. No, you don't trust that. We don't trust that as consumers. So why would we want an actor to be everything? We don't want an actor to be everything. We want to be really clear about who this actor is. Interesting. Very cool. Yes. I love all of that. And I think that's interesting because I remember when I first like started with you, you would say the analogy of like, you know, um, if they want Alfredo sauce, they're going to go to you because you are Alfredo sauce. But then the next day you change your Alfredo sauce to like, now you're like marinara or like you're, you're you can't be like flippantly flopping. You have to be consistent and that's, what's going to attract people to you. So right. I, just, I just think that's interesting. Okay. So obviously we talked about actors fast track, the power of it, why you started it. So on a bigger scale, you're an entrepreneur. What would you say has been some of those bigger struggles that you've had to struggle with as an entrepreneur? Well, money. Um, money is the number one thing. Um, cash flow um, is difficult. Um, um, that's a big struggle. I think um, um, keeping, um, keeping relevant you know, keeping up on, I mean, our business is changing so fast and so quickly every day, but that's just in general, everything. So, you know, um, if you look at companies like Yahoo or Blockbuster or Kodak, what their Achilles heel was that took them under is they didn't stay relevant. They didn't keep foresight into what was coming down the pike. Right. And so sometimes when I'm talking about the breakdowns are breaking down or there's new things happening, you know, people don't want to hear that sometimes because they want it to keep the same as it always has been. Same as it always was. Same as us, like, I think, at the Talking Heads. And the truth is, like, it's going to change. It's, it's changing. And so being someone that is outspoken about that and being a rule breaker around that and being brave enough to step into that and not be like all my competitors, right? I, it's not like I have that many competitors, but the people that do, I do, most of them are are telling you, get an agent, follow the rules, do it this way, don't break the rules. And yet every one of my star friends, which I have tons of them, got there because they broke the rules. And so it's, a, but you know, it's kind of like, again, the abused wife, like they want to keep you down on the farm. So being brave enough to say something different and something that and to stand in it has been a big deal for me and, and not 
it's been scary at times, really scary. Um, it's scary when you go on someone else's Facebook group and you see them talking about you in a bad way and you know it's you that they're talking about because, it, because you're because you're not playing by the rules that they think that you should follow. Right. So, um, you know, and, you know, so that's like, that's the thing. That's, that's the, um, Do you that's like, like, yeah. Do you feel like as an entrepreneur, the rejection has been different than the feeling as an actor rejection? Like, like when people have been like, you're a scam or this, like, how have you dealt with those types of rejections? Um, well, I mean, usually the people that are telling you that you're a scam are usually people that you really don't even want to be dealing with in any way. So it's like, you know, I mean, there's always going to be in every business, there's a crazy person, right? There's always that. And, you know, when someone, when someone yeah, and it's been very few and far between when someone has accused me of being a scam. But mostly what I found is the people that have done that have been trapped in their, in, in history and what they think. And they're making a judgment based on not really knowing who you are at all or not doing any investigating. And, and they've all been a little bit cuckoo. Cuckoopotamus to be on, on, you know, on, you know, the very first year I did a three day, this old woman and her husband, she was probably a manager like a hundred years ago, right? She shows up and, you know, I had Amon in the back of the room, of course, you know, who's amazing. And so I never knew any of this happened. And she was like, oh, she's a scam. She said, and, and Amon was like, okay, well, why do you think she's a scam? Like he started questioning her and she's, she didn't know me. Yeah. She just has seen my sign, Actors Fast Track, Changing the Way Actors Do Business. And she had made up her mind that that was a scam, right? And then she came up and stole about $500 worth of binders from me and threw them in the trash. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, so, so I think, you know, they just make up their mind about who you are. And, you know, I'm not... I, I'm an abrasive person. Like I got that. Like I can be a bit of a, an abrasive person and, and, and to your face and very blunt. Right. So some people like, you know, that's a problem for, and, the, and a lot of the things I'm asking actors to do are breaking the rules that don't exist because, you know, I've been looking for the rule book for 35 years and it doesn't exist. Right. You know, they'll say things like drop-offs are unsolicited. What? I don't even know what that means. Like, what do you mean it's unsolicited? You mean sales calls are unsolicited? Really? Well, you should tell that to Bed Bath & Beyond because they send me a coupon like every day in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't care whether I think it's unsolicited or not. Right. right? And solar people hop by my house every day and knock on the door. Would you like to buy solar or house cleaners or whatever? That's how people do business. That's how they've done business since the dawn of time. And I find it so funny because I feel like when I've run into, you know, when I was speaking a manager, I had this one manager that told me like, oh, you shouldn't be doing those things. I'm like, really? Because that's how I've gotten to where I'm at. You know what I mean? Or I've had other agents tell me the same thing where it's like, oh, you should be careful with that. It's a scam. And I'm like, wait a second. Like, how would I have gotten to where I am right now? How would I be having these conversations with you had I not done this work? You know, and I feel like that's the biggest thing that I've, that I found in my career is that I'm not waiting for someone to give me the opportunity. And even now where 
I, you know, I've, I've shared this with you where it's like, now that I do have these, these bigger reps where I can't really be doing the hustling, I still try to do a little bit of the hustle because I, 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 I trust my team fully. But for example, I just had an audition come up for this feature and I still did the work. Like I still went in, I said, okay, well, who's, who wrote this? Who's the director? Like who, like, who's the pro like, what's this project about? And I saw that the writer um, of this feature actually knew somebody that I did improv with. So I reached out to the guy that I did improv with. I'm like, Hey, how do you know this writer? He's like, I'm actually working on that project. I'm one of the producers. I'm working with casting on it. I'm like, Oh my gosh, well, how crazy is that? I'm auditioning for this role. He's like, great. Well, keep it authentic. Do this, do that. I'm like, great. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my audition. And then I told my team, I'm like, Hey, just so you know, I know somebody that's working with the writer on this project. So that way they can have that little insight. But I feel like they see that I come to the table with more than just like, okay, here's my audition. Like, I'm like, no, no, no. Like I, I still try my, I mean, but you're supposed to do that. Yeah. You're supposed to do that. You're supposed to do all those things. I think the lesson you learned is that you don't have to go scrap for the little things now because you're playing a bigger game now. So you had to step up into the bigger game. So now your job is to check out everyone involved in the production and make sure that you have all your I's dotted and your T's crossed. So it's not just about getting ready for the audition. It's also about understanding what you're walking into. Right. And I, you know, like and you did that. And I feel like also even so, like when I booked this commercial, I was walking over there um, to the commercial and I said, okay, Liz, look at the call sheet. Who's the director? What's his name? Who's the girl? Who are the people that are doing your hair and makeup? Because they're just as important. Okay, Elena. Okay, perfect. And so when I started meeting these people, I already knew their names. I was like, yep, that's Elena. Okay, great. Yes, okay, now I know she's the makeup person. I already knew the people's names. And then when I was sitting down, we all, afterwards, we went out to lunch and um, you know, the director, they, they were like, oh, sit with the director. So I was sitting with the director and their writers. And I was just like, I felt like I was speaking to them, especially because I'm, I'm a content creator, have this podcast, you know, I feel, um, I feel very secure in myself where I'm not like asking for anything. So I feel like a very like whole human where I can have authentic conversations and I don't have like, my ego doesn't feel like, Oh, this is weird. I'm talking to the director. Um, so I was like carrying my own conversation and we were just talking about the things that they've done. And he was like, Oh yeah. He's like, I'm so he, interesting enough. This director, he's cut out the middleman. So what he's done for his business is he plays the agency, but he's also a filmmaker. So when commercials come to him, he has his own, um, uh, copywriter, but he also is the film director. So he cuts out that middleman and now he has his own production company where he does it all. He creates the commercials and he also does the, the filming. So he's, he's his own entity. And I just found that so interesting. And I was having this conversation with him about business, but also filmmaking. And I was telling them like, as filmmakers, it's so cool that you guys are in a position where you don't have to really wait for a green light. And I told them like, I don't know if you understand this about you know, as an actress, like our perspective is, you know, you work so hard to get to do the work that you love. And I told them like, it's taken me so long to just be able to have these kind of conversations. And then they were so nice. And then I asked them because I wanted to gain insight. Um, cause it was a direct booking. My agency had sent, sent, submitted me and I didn't even audition for it. And then they called me and said, do you want this job? So I asked him for feedback. I was like, what did you see in me that made you want to hire me? Like, I never, I never met you. He's like, well, your, your, your website was like, you're, you're Hispanic, but you're not like too Hispanic where it's like, you look Mexican where, or you look like specifically like Colombia, like you're, you're very 
I was like ethnically ambiguous. He's like, yeah. He's like, you had some, you know, your website had this and that. And I just, I felt like you could do the part. And so I thought it was interesting where it's like my marketing really showed up for me. Um, had I not had my website, had I not had these things out there, um, maybe they would have never hired me. So I just thought like that whole experience was so interesting. And I have been so wrapped up in my own personal drama with my relationships that when I was on set, I was like, Liz, 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 you're on set right now. Like you, you book something like be present for this. Like you don't always get to be on set where they say action. And I don't know, it was just a very interesting whole experience where I felt so fulfilled as an actress and they really loved what I delivered. And it was, it was really cool experience. And I don't know. I just found all of that very interesting. Yay. <laughs> you looked beautiful too. All the pictures on set and everything. It looked great. Thank you, Val. Okay, so let's talk about morning routines and good habits. I feel like you've, um, you're the one that put me onto the Miracle Morning, um, and I think that you've really stressed the importance of having a morning routine and having good habits. So mm -hmm. what made you start getting into um, morning routines, and what would you say to people about that, like the importance of having one? Um, okay, so I... Um I was going through a lot of personal stuff. And so um, Deb had sent me this book called Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. And um, Deb was always sending me all these self-help books and I was never reading them. And I was, but I was really struggling and I was going through some really heavy personal stuff. And so I just decided to read this book. And I, I'd had it for a while, but I hadn't cracked it at all. And so I started reading it. And in the book, he talked about the most successful people have a morning routine, um, which, makes, which makes it so you don't wake up and your life happens to you, but you make, you let, you take charge of your life. Um, and what he talked about was meditating. And I had, you know, I had always been a Christian and I had always been sort of one of those guilty people that never really prayed consistently. And, um, and I, and I was, I didn't really know how to do that. Like, you know, and it was something that, you know, I didn't really pay attention to. And so, um, so I started meditating and, you know, I started with, um, David G's 40 Days to Transformation was one of the early things that I did because, you know, if you go to YouTube or you go to iTunes or Spotify or whatever, there's a, t there's a gazillion guided meditations that you can listen to, right? Mm -hmm. And so I really started meditating and, you know, it's such a small thing, but I really have noticed that I've been doing it now for over a year and a half daily and I very rarely miss more than two days in a row um, and I'm usually pretty frequent like every day every morning so I get up every morning and I meditate for 15 to 30 minutes and then I journal I usually write down like five to ten things I'm grateful for and then I write down my goals what I'm working on, like they've already happened. And then I usually work out. Um, and just doing that every day sets the foundation for my life that's really changed my life in a lot of ways. 
Um, you know, and it's really helped me to get through some rough times. Um, the meditation has is very spiritual for me. It's gotten a lot more um, feeling like prayer. Like mm -hmm. I feel like I'm in the presence of God's light. Mm -hmm. um, I have seen my dad who's been gone for 12 years in my prayer. I've seen my other friends that died and my family that died during that time. Um, I've, 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 le I've levitated. I've, felt like the joy of love coming from me um and i and it was interesting because i went to um i always felt like i didn't know a lot of, I, even though i was raised as a christian and i went to sunday school and i did all those things you know i never felt like i was really a very smart person about the bible i never read the bible a lot and we i went to class on sunday christian ed and and they were asking us what the difference between God and Jesus was for you. And I said, you know, for me, um, God is a feeling. It's like a worship. It's like a feeling. And Jesus is like a person. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking of those kids at the border the other day. And I was thinking, you know, I was thinking that Jesus is there. Like he's in the cages with them. He's with them, sitting there with them. And he needs to be there with them because they're the people that really need it. Or those awful starving children in Syria and Turkey that, you know, are just like those babies you see that are so skinny because of terrible, greedy humans that are not allowing them to have food. And, you know, there's so much hate out there right now and so much um, despair. And so the more that I can come from a place of love and allow myself to get out of my own hate and my own rage and my own female anarchy, you know, like, um, uh, and my own activism, which has, you know, uh, been really brought up a lot in me the last four years, um, um, that it's really helped me to stay centered and I've needed that. And so, um, like the, 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 it's for me, it's turned into meditation has turned into almost prayer for me. You know, it's been my form of prayer for myself and like I'm praying, like, I can't believe that. Like that was something I always felt like other people did. Like I didn't do that. Right. No, I feel very similar to you. And I grew up Catholic, like my dad was Catholic, but my, and my mom, my mom always said she was Christian, which is really funny because like my mom was definitely not a Christian, but whatever. Um, I digress. Right. Um, no, but they, my dad, um, always taught me like about like rosaries and the Bible. And I went to Sunday school and I had a communion and I was baptized, all of those things. But I don't feel like I ever came into my faith until like three to four years ago, really. Um, and I got baptized again as a, as a, as an adult, I really, really got into my Christian church. Um, but I think the biggest thing that was hard for me was that I had a lot of shame around religion because my family, um, I would say my dad's side of the family, there was a lot of like hypocrisy, um, that would go on and you would just see a lot of like judgment and hate. And I feel like religion has a really bad rap because it could be very hypocritical, like hypocritical. Um, have hypocrisy and make people feel like that. Um, but what drew me to church was this, I just felt like these people had this kind of joy to them. I felt like there was something that I 
um, was seeking that was bigger than myself. And when I would go to church, the messages that I would hear, um, the pastors look like they, the life that they were living, whether they were walking through a successful marriage, right? Like I came from a product of like, I never really saw what successful marriages look like. And here I am at church and these people that are godly people telling you, you know, marriage does work and things like that. And um, I don't know. I feel like I, I also definitely had that weird relationship with how can I pray? How do I pray? Like, how do I do this thing? And I actually, my last podcast talked about how um, I went to this um, cathedral here in New York. Uh, I think it's the St. Patrick's or St. P- yeah, St. Patrick's right on. Yeah. Ave, yeah. Cathedral. And I remember that day having a very spiritual experience with God where I walked into the cathedral and I had just felt like, you know what, God, I really want you to guide me. I'm not really sure what I'm doing here, but I know that I'm going to pray at some point while I walk in through this cathedral. I know that I'm going to sit down somewhere and I'm going to pray. And so when I go all the way to the end of the cathedral, all the way in the back, there's these glass doors. I mean, it's beautiful. It's like huge. And there's this room where you can pray. And I saw people in there praying. And I always felt like this weird thing where how dare I pray for things like my career when people are praying for like their family that have cancer. Like you're not worthy of of prayer because you're not actually suffering. Like I, even with therapy, it's like, I don't really need therapy because there's people that I lost their brother. Like I I always try to justify that my darkness is not dark enough, you know? And I, I, so I was like, "I, I don't know what to pray about. And so I walk into there and I'm just like, hi God, I'm here to pray. And I literally heard God's voice say, shut up. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so, like, I was like, what? It was the first time I heard God's voice like so loud where it was like someone took over my brain and all I heard was like, stop pretending, Elizabeth. Like just, you pretend every, in every area in your life, you're a pretender. Like you pretend, like stop pretending, like just be like, you want to have a conversation with me? Just talk to me. I'm not up here. I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm right in front of you. Just talk to me. Like, that's how you pray. You want to know how you pray? Just talk. What are you feeling? And I was like, I don't know. Like, I I just, I feel like, I feel like I'm constantly asking for, for wanting my, my career, but I know that in church, they tell me I should be giving and I I just don't know how to be of service. And I want to make sure I'm being a vessel. And I just felt like God was like, okay, like I'm going to, I'm going to walk with you today. And I remember leaving that cathedral And I started walking down Fifth Ave because I needed to get an iPhone. I needed to fix my phone, right? Funny that we talked about that. So I need to fix my phone. So I'm walking all the way down Fifth because Apple's like all the way at the end of Fifth. So I'm walking down Fifth and I just, I feel like I felt, and I said this in my last podcast, I felt like I had smoked four blunts because I felt like I was super high. Like I couldn't explain the the feeling except the fact that like, that's how I feel when I've smoked weed before. It's like, I'm just Mm -hmm. really high. And, um, I'm not really in my body. I feel, I feel like I'm having this spiritual high and I'm walking and I hear God saying to me, you see those things like fifth Ave has, has so many like Prada, this Gucci, all that. He's like, you see everything in these windows. I never want you to be about those things. You know where I want your heart to lie Elizabeth in the people. He goes, you know where my heart lies in my children. That's where I want you to be. Like, that's who I want you to be about. And I'm like, okay, like, so I'm just like receiving these like messages. And then he says to me, get down right now and talk to that homeless kid. And I'm like, what? Why am I hearing that? Like, dude, I can't do this. This is so fucking weird. Like, what is going on right now? I get on the floor and I start helping this, like talking to this kid. 
And I'm sorry for all the listeners that already heard this story last time, but whatever, it's good. So I'm sitting down on the floor with this kid and I start talking to him. And instead of judging him, I just met him where he was at. And he was telling me about how he's trying to strategize so he can get enough money, so he can stay at this hotel, so he can shower and so he can do this, so he can get a job. And the strategy sounded good, but he was over his head. So I go, no, 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 no. What you should do is this. So I start life coaching him, this homeless kid, which he was not much older than me, but he was homeless. And what I realized was his sign that he had was exactly the truth. He wasn't lying. And I just found that so interesting how I was like, I have this belief of homelessness where they're liars and that they're lazy. And those are beliefs I have about these people. And, and I'm, I'm wrong. I'm so wrong. And I don't ever want to judge them. And I, I got on his level. We were talking and, and I even recorded a podcast because I said, can I record this conversation? So it's episode six and it's called the voice of the homeless. And he was such a cool guy. And um, sometimes I listen back to it because it just seems like it seems like it was a dream. It doesn't seem like it was a real day. And so um, I end up telling him, you know, he, I go, you know, I, I just felt like God told me to talk to you and I just wanted to like pray with you if that's okay. And he's like, his face like turned white and he's like, I never pray. And I asked God to like for a sign today. And I was like, shook. I was like, wow. Like when you listen to God's voice, like he will guide you in the right direction. And I Holy moly. So like profound. And ever since then, like, even Val, like there's this huge story that I haven't told you, but it was, it was the same time that we were in LA. And after the game changer, you know, that most of my clients are all Christian. Like I've attracted these like Christian girls. And, um, after the game changer on that Sunday, I said, girls, do you want to go to church together? So most of my clients went with me to church. We're in church. And I like literally just felt like, again, this, the spiritual high that I was on, we're in our Uber and we're heading towards, um, the patty and, 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 and the girls like where they're staying at. And, um, we're in the Uber and I start talking about our pastor. So our pastor at Hillsong is called Carl Lentz and he has this book. It's called own the moment. And it's an incredible book and it's an even better audio book because he reads it. And it's just a really, really powerful book about, um, his faith journey. And in his faith journey, he talks about this time when he was um, just a, a door holder at this Gucci, right? And, and he, he felt that he, was, he wanted to minister to people. So what he would do is he would hold the door for people, like, you know, at this like big designer place. And he would just tell them, um, God loves you and he has, a, a, he has a, um, a plan for you. Or God loves you and he's going to do great things in your life. So there's this man that walks in and he's a pimp. And he has like the sugar mama and they're walking into Gucci and Carl opens the door and he says to the, the, the pimp looking guy, like God loves you and he's going to do great things for you. And the guy looks at him and he goes, what did you say to me? And Carl's like, nothing, nothing, nothing at all. Just have a wonderful day. And he's like, you don't know me. You don't get to say that to me. You don't know me. And Carl's like, you're right. Probably like an hour later, this pimp comes back to Carl. He's like, what did you say to me again? Carl's like, you know, man, I don't know. Like, I'm not even supposed to be talking. I'm sorry. Like, I just, I don't know. I, I just said, no, no, but what did you say? He's like, I just said that God loves you and that he's going to do great things for you. And just to put things into perspective at the time, Carl needed $2,000 to go to Hillsong, Australia, so he can start studying ministry. This guy says to him, well, why don't you come to my office so you can tell me so much about this God that you know and why you feel like you can tell me this? 
And Carl's like freaking out. So he's like, okay. So he gets to this guy's office. He goes upstairs. It's like all gold, like golden everything. Gets to the top. He goes to the guy's office and he starts pretty much ministering to him of just like sharing his testimony of what God's done in his life and how he knows that he's going to do that for every person. And it really touches this guy's heart so much that he doesn't know why, but he ends up writing Carl a $2,000 check, which is how much money Carl needed to go to Hillsong so he can start his ministry journey. And I'm sitting in this Uber and I start telling this story like I'm saying now. And the Uber driver, she starts like kind of like shaking and you could tell that like my story's affecting her. And my, my client, Patty, you know, Patty, she starts going yeah. like this, like keep talking because you're ministering right now. Like there's something that you're saying, Elizabeth. And I feel like I have a little bit of a gift of ministry. So she starts going like that, like, oh, she's gonna, she's having like a, a conviction. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I keep like telling the story. And then I ask the woman, I'm like, um, hi, like what's, d- does this story like affecting you in some way? And she, she just starts talking about how, what she's kind of walking through. And in that moment, I hear God in my ear say, give her the $20 that you have in your purse. And I'm like, what? Why is he saying that? Like, I don't, you know, like I only have $20. Why would I give her $20? That's so weird. Why would I, why would I give her money? That's like really weird. So we're sitting in the car and then I start sharing another story. And I'm like, you know, what's interesting guys. And we just all, we're all like on this, like this high of like spirituality. So we're all sharing like our testimonies. I go, you know how much faith I have in God that I think Cause you know, while I walk in the streets of New York, I always say, God forbid anything were to happen to me. I get sex trafficked. I get raped. If anything that awful were ever to happen to me, I tell them I have so much confidence in God that I know he's always going to use it for his like glory. Like I know that maybe I'll get out of that and I'm going to like be the next like sex trafficker leader. Like, I don't know what it's going to be, but I know for whatever reason, God will put me that so I can like shine even brighter later on. Yeah. The woman starts crying. Like she's crying, but like to herself, I'm seeing that. I'm like, dude, what? Like, so what's affecting this lady so much? So I tell her, I'm like, she goes, you know, no, it's just what you're saying is so powerful because I've had these experiences with, you know, um, people being predators to me and things like that. And even like recently while I was driving, I had this like awful experience with a, with a passenger that assaulted me. And she's like telling her story. And I go to her. She starts saying how, you know, and I'm just trying to work. I'm trying to work as much as I can. And I have a credit card and I, you know, I just found out that the credit card, if you put a dollar, it'll run up to 20. Like, even if you don't have the money, um, it'll do that. And I'm listening to her and I go, and I go, so when did you do that? Like, when did you try to give yourself gas? And she goes today. So I take out my 20 and then I'm like, now I know why God told me to give you money. So I take out my 20 and I go, here is the rest of your gas. You can work even more. And I just want you to know that God loves you and he's going to do great things in your life. This girl breaks down. She's like, what? Why would you do that? I was like, I don't know. I just felt like I had to. I just feel like just just, you know, like, you know, you're, you're, he's like, Oh my God, like I got the right group of girls. I was like, yeah, you know, we are definitely the right group of girls. Like we're going to love up on you. And I go, we're actors. Like, that's why we're here. We're actresses where she goes, what? She goes, you know, I want to be an actor. Right. And we're like, what? Well, you're definitely in the right group of girls. Like here's my business card. You know, I work with this amazing company called actors fast track and we help actors like really push for your dreams. And Oh man, this girl was like, she had this like revelation. And I just felt like, I love when I can like share my story or my testimony and it like tell, it like helps people. And 
I don't know, I'm very passionate about God. And I know you know that, but like, I just think that it's, um, I think that it's like a bigger calling. And when you realize that you have a bigger purpose, and I, I mean, I feel like there's been times where I've just been in these like super dark moments and it's really been the only light. So I feel like I just have to share that treasure that I've found. You know what I mean? I feel like it's my job to share this incredible treasure that I've found, which is God. I don't know. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's a great story, by the way. Um, 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 I want to wrap up with just asking you this. So, Obviously, we have a lot of actors, we have a lot of entrepreneurs, we have just a lot of different kind of listeners. If there's one thing that from our conversation today, you can like leave them with, like some words of wisdom or things that if they start incorporating in their life will really change them. Like, what's like one thing you would like to finish saying off to this audience? Um, you know, don't wait for the time to be right. Mm-hmm. Um, we can, you know, put out there all the goals that we want and we can say them every day, but they're going to show up in the way that they're going to show up. And it's usually not convenient. Right. Um, they're not going to show, show up in a convenient time. Right. And so you, you know, remember the number one rule of improv, which is yes and, right? And so, um, you know, yes and, when you trust your gut and move forward, um, the worst thing to be is someone that's got one foot in yesterday, one foot in tomorrow, and shitting all over today, right? But that's like what most people are doing, right? So, the thing is like I have people that have been talking about hiring me for five years and it's not about whether you hire me or not. That's not the point. The point is taking action on your, on your acting career. And so, you know, what I'll see is every year on Facebook, they'll share the same thing. The greatest day of my life. I got an agent, you know, and then nothing happens. And then another year goes by the greatest day of my life. I got an agent. It's like, it's like a broken record. And if you want to do something new in your life, you have to do some new things to get there. Yeah. Marie Forleo just said it to me today in my ears when I was listening to, for the third time, you know, everything is figure outable. Um, you know, if you want to do something different than you're doing, you have to act differently. Um, and so if you're sitting around, hopefully, hoping that things are going to be different and you're going to continue to do the same things that you're doing right now. It's not going to be any differently. I just had a new client hire me who's done a ton of commercials and a ton of background work and she doesn't want to do background work anymore. She wants to have speaking roles on TV. And the number one thing I'm going to tell her first is then you have to stop doing background work. I'm sorry. I, I, that's the, like, if you keep focused over here on background, that's all you're going to keep getting. So we have to refocus you over here. The good news is you have all these commercials so we can use those to leverage you to get speaking roles on TV now because you've done all that, but it's going to be a new agent. It's going to be a new way of looking at things and a new order of business, you know, um, and a new way of going after things. Because if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to keep getting what you get. Right. And so, 
you know, um, you've got to make, in order to do what you, to achieve what you don't have, you're going to have to take a big leap. It's part of, it's part of doing that. And, or you could just have the life that you're having. But the worst thing is talking about being an actor and not really being it. Then just stop being an actor. Like, you know, go get a job, you know, go have, go do things. I mean, it's not, entrepreneurship is not for the faint of heart. It's not for everyone. It's not easy. You know, my company's not called Actors Easy Track. Yeah. It's called Actors Fast Track because what I teach will get you there a lot faster than you'll get there on your own. Right. You know, but, you know, and I don't just speak to actors. I speak to all entrepreneurs, you know, get some help, you know, make a big move in, you know, um, investing in yourself is really, is really the key to it because it's like when you invest in yourself, you know, when people give me money, they show up and listen to what I'm telling them to do most of the time, right? You know, um, because they just did that and they're like, okay, what do I do now? Yeah. Right? Okay. You pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's what I would say. Oh, that was so good. Well, thank you so much, Val, for being on the podcast, for sharing Of your course. Business. And if the listeners want to connect with you, what if they're like, hey, I'm super interested in getting into Actors Fast Track, or I want to, you know, pick your brain, like what is the action step that they should take? They should email me at Valerie, V-A-L-O-R-I-E, at actorsfasttrack.com, or they can email Sarah, S-A-R-A, at actorsfasttrack.com, and they can get on our calendar to have a conversation with us. Amazing! And there you guys have it. I hope you enjoyed that episode with me and Valerie. It was a really fun one to record. She's such a fun energy. And it's so incredible being able to kind of talk about that journey that we've gone through. I've been walking with her for two years now as her being my mentor. And she truly has just shaped the trajectory of my life from teaching me everything that I know about the entertainment industry from a business standpoint to then getting to work with her as a coach, then getting to work alongside her with as an entrepreneur with her business, understanding sales and marketing and what that really is um, to do. So it's been such a cool journey to be able to do all of those things. And every single day, she really just shed so much more light into my life. She's the first person that told me to get into miracle mornings and having a morning routine and figuring out what's your relationship with money and this and that. And so a lot of the steps that she's had to learn throughout her life, her sharing that has skipped so many years in my development. I've been able to advance so much quicker because I have a mentor like her in my life. So that's something that's so crucial, guys. Find the people in your life that have the fruit that you want to bear so that way you can put the same seeds that they have. You get the seeds from their tree and you get to plant so that way your tree can grow fast and it can be watered and nurtured. And you can avoid a lot of missteps that you would have otherwise made had you tried to walk this alone. So it's so important to find that kind of counsel, those kind of mentors in your life, so that way you can have the life of your dreams. Um, number one step is obviously figuring out what that life and what that dream looks like for you, and then seeking those people who have those same fruit, um, and then walking in their path, because success leaves a trail. That's all for today, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, share it with a friend, leave a review, um, and I will see you next week for another episode of Shine Brighter with Liz. Till next time, and remember, always keep on shining. Mwah!